This is Simon's Seeds, where Christ and truth reigns, and where soldiers for God get trained up and armed up on God's holy word. Hello. Welcome back to Simon Seeds. Uh, hope you enjoyed the last episode. I'm going to kind of go back and revisit the last episode. There are a few things that I didn't say that uh, I realized I wanted to talk about later. Um, but it's okay, I'll cover it now. Hold on one second. Get my, my notes here. Hopefully the last episode was very uh, educational for you. What I want to talk about, though, is one of the things I didn't bring up the last time in regards to knowing the Bible and uh, understanding you know, the Bible in, in, in understanding the Bible and being able to explain it to give a good account for your faith. You're going to have to come up with answers, like, like I've been saying constantly, that no one's heard before. You know, real good stuff. But what I forgot to bring up last time was basically what you're doing is, is apologetics. And apologetics isn't apologizing. What it is, is it's giving an account for your faith, no matter what your faith is. Of course, Christian apologetics is the best. <laughs> Um, but apologetics and the book that I was I was reading some excerpts from, uh, excuse me, excerpts from was uh, by Josh McDowell. The new evidence that demands a verdict. Um, he's uh, an apologetics, um, I guess, author, and he was, I would say, the first uh, person that I. I had read anything from or even watched his videos in regards to apologetics. And he does, like I mentioned last time, an outstanding job. Like I said, the book's pages are over 700 plus pages. And it's just, just a plethora of, of uh, things about the Bible that I never knew. And uh, which also proves beyond a shadow of a doubt how accurate it is. But it's apologetics, basically, in a nutshell, is what I'm trying to explain um, to you to, to, to get used to doing. It, it, it's a technique uh, used to uh, give a good account for your faith, apologetics. And uh, Josh McDowell's not the only one who uh, is good at this. There's another gentleman by the name of Ravi Zacharias. He's another phenomenal uh, apologist, and um, I could listen to him for hours. So I highly uh, recommend those two. You can go on the internet, go to uh, YouTube. Um, there's apps that you can get for your phone and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, if you're going to give a good account for your faith, start with these two guys and they can give you a, a much broader and better understanding of God's Word. And not just God's Word in and of itself, but where it comes from, why it's accurate. Um, not just in you know, um, prophecy or uh, archaeological evidence, but also scientific evidence and historical. I mean, it just goes on and on. Like I said, there's tons of information. And all you have to do is realize that you don't have to remember everything. If you have 
like I was speaking to a friend today, if you just study, say, an hour a week in uh, apologetics, you're going to be so armed with so much information um, to give a good account for your faith. You'll pretty much be unstoppable. Because most people out there that you run into, of course, this is all why you're witnessing. There's no point in um, holding the word for yourself. You know, the whole point uh, is to go ye into the world and uh, preach the gospel to every living creature. You know, so if you're just learning all this and you're not sharing it, well, then shame on you. You need to get out there. Remember, you're a soldier for God and um, use this information to lead as many people to a Christ as possible. Um, another thing you're going to realize is when you are witnessing, you're going to run into people that, um, for the most part, are going to pretty much throw you at questions that you might get nervous or you might feel that, you know, I can't answer that or you might not even know the answer. And that's why they're asking those questions because what, and this isn't every person that you run into. I'm talking about a small segment of these people. Um, these are the people that will throw you a question, uh, which is more of an objection or no, excuse me, um, not an objection, but a, an, um, uh, like an, uh, an obstacle so that, uh, you, you'll have a hard time, you know, um, an objection, excuse me, I guess a better term would be an objection. They have an objection and, 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 and you have, uh, no way of, of overcoming that objection. And people do that all the time. I learned that in sales. They'll have like an objection and I'll watch you squirm. And that's why they keep using the same objection over and over and over again. That's why in, um, I believe it was the first podcast, with, no, no, the second one, it wasn't with Chuck. The second one when people ask you well, or tell you, you know, the Bible was written by man, so it, it must, you know, have errors in it, you know? And that, if you don't, have the um the 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 education behind your conversation then you're not going to overcome those objections but what you will realize with with any group of people that you meet they're they're all going to be uh, pretty much asking you the same questions now you'll get different questions but what i'm saying though is out of 10 people uh, two out of those 10 people will ask you the same question. So the more people you meet, you're going to hear the same questions, um, which they throw at you as objections. And you're going to get so familiar with the objections that you hear that after a while, you're not going to hear new objections. You're going you're gonna, to um, know what you're coming up against. And um, it becomes easier because what, what you do is, hopefully through this process, is you learn... Uh, what the answers are to those objections. Um, for instance, I was in sales for like eight years, and I used to hear the same objections all the time. But once I learned what the answers were to those objections, um, you kind of turn the tables on the individual that is asking you those questions. Now, like I said uh, a few seconds ago, some of these people will throw these objections up because they know um, that most Christians don't have answers to these questions. And the ones that that think they have um, suitable um, answers for these questions that aren't suitable, um, they kind of, they, they, they know that they can uh, kind of beat you up a little bit verbally because they know that, that, that you don't have a strong enough response for those objections. Now, that's not every person that you're going to run into when you're uh, witnessing. You're going to have some people that God put in front of you that honestly 
um, our seeking and, and truly our inquiring and, and asking questions. And you'll know. You'll feel it. Um, you know who they are, but um, always be ready to uh, have an answer. Um, like I said, though, this is basically, in a nutshell, is uh, apologetics, giving a, a good account for your, um, your faith. So uh, some of the things that I, I've written down, I have notes for. Uh, one thing is I'm going to talk about a uh, skeptical culture. Excuse me. Um, I'm going to go over some stats that uh, are going to be a, a little eye-opening, uh, give you a, a better understanding of, of the, the, the situation globally, uh, what's going on in the world as far as where Christianity stands and where, uh, um, like I said, um, speaking truth to this uh, skeptical culture. The other thing I'm going to go over briefly is um, some prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. So the thing about the Word of God is it's the only set of books or book. The, the, the word Bible, by the way, means book, so the book. Um, it's the only, only religion that has prophecies that have come true. So um, I'm also going to go over some archaeological evidence. Uh, the Bible is, is beyond rich with that. And there's also scientific uh, accuracy in the Bible and also some uh, historical accuracy. Um, but just remember, um, essentially what you're doing is, is, is you're, you're getting involved in uh, apologetics. So start off by reading in, uh, Josh McDowell's books and uh, looking at some of his videos. And also another one, uh, these are just my personal favorites. There's a, there's a bunch out there, but I find uh, Ravi Zacharias uh, phenomenal. Um, and uh, you don't have to know everything, but uh, like I said, study about an hour or so a day, then get on out there and um, witness. Now, another thing, though, too, I want to bring up is when you're witnessing the people, you're not going to come right out the gate saying, you know, I know this, and the Bible is 66 books by 40, you know, authors, and this, and that, and that, and that. You don't need to do that. As a matter of fact, these are all arrows in your quiver. Every person that you meet and uh, every person that you witness to always assume that they believe the deity of Jesus Christ. Always assume that they believe that he's God. Always assume it. When I was in sales, we used to say, always assume the sale. Because as soon as you say, do you want to buy? They're going to say no. You're giving them in the out. So you just assume it. You let them give you their objections when you start your, your, your witnessing, your conversation with them, no matter how you start it, these questions will inevitably come up. Um, if somebody says, well, you know, the Bible was written by man, it must have changed throughout these thousands of years. Well, then you pull out your little arrow that says manuscripts on it. And you show them by flinging that arrow at their objection uh, right through that objection's heart, and you dissolve it by explaining that the Bible is the most accurate piece of literature in the history of mankind, and you get into why. Um, and of course, we covered that in um, the last episode. We got into the, the manuscripts and stuff. So that's what you do. You pull out the arrows that you need for the objections that are coming your way. Um, so let's get started with the uh, skeptical... <laughs> skeptical, yeah, okay, excuse me. <laughs> skeptical uh, uh, culture. Do you know that 
700 people quit reading the Bible every day. I also heard a stat. I don't know if this is the exact number, but I, I think it's 75%. It's like 75% of Christians that go to uh, college lose their faith in these communist indoctrination failure factories that they call the university. You know, So that's, that's pretty scary. Let me grab my notes here. Okay, so like I said, 700 people quit reading the Bible every day. That's on average. That's insane. 32% of the world's population is considered Christian. That's not too shabby. Less than 20% of Americans regularly attend church. It's less than 20%. 63% of unchurched young adults say they would attend if truth was presented in an understandable way. And that's when apologetics comes into play. Because when you just base everything off of, you know, um, faith, which obviously um, there are some individuals out there that have blind faith, and that's I highly commend that. That's awesome. But not everybody's like that. Most people, when they make an intelligent decision, they need all, as much information as possible, and basically all the information, to, to take that small leap of faith. You know, so um, with these with these uh, uh, youth, they 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 want it presented in an understandable way. So when you're talking, you know, the way that Christians normally talk, um, they're not understanding. You know what I mean? So you have to break it down in almost a technical way, and they they'll uh, they'll understand better. Eighty four percent of millennial Christians uh, doubt the Bible's influence on career goals. And 32% of millennials say they left faith because intellectual skepticism. You know, sometimes you have to hit the Bible on an intellectual level, not just a, a faith and just believe and, and blind faith. You know, I'm the type of person that there's, there's a bunch of information out there. Like, for instance, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Ron Wyatt, the uh, archaeologist who um, found Noah's Ark and, and, and the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't know about that, I highly suggest you look him up and look at his work. But seeing that stuff on film did not, you know, uh, give me my faith. I already had faith in those um, historical events. But what it did, though, is it just solidified it, my faith. Uh, solidified my faith a little more. You know, I wasn't the type that needed to see that to, to say, okay, I believe. I already believe. But um, there are some people out there that that will see that and go, okay, well now I believe. You know, it's 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 some good stuff there. Eighty-seven um, percent of churchgoers say they need help understanding the Bible. Eighty-seven percent. Now these are churchgoers. These aren't people that you're going to meet on the street that may not be churchgoers. You know, these are uh, people that are going to church um, and they need help understanding the Bible. So not only um, should you witness to, um, you know, non-believers, you should educate believers. And believers themselves um, should obviously be educating themselves. And I find it difficult, though, you know, that to believe that 87% of churchgoers say they need help understanding the Bible, especially with the, the uh, number of resources we have now and the types of things we have, you know, in regards to technology. I mean, you have everything under your fingertips, you know, so. 
Well, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Um, let me uh, go in here with my notes. So, excuse me. How is the Bible unique? And let's just say you, you, you meet somebody and they're asking you, how is the Bible unique from uh, other religious literature? You know, how is Christianity unique, excuse me, unique from uh, other religions? And I, and I, I brought this up um, in the last episode. You know, the Bible is basically unmistakably the most unique book ever written. Um, for instance, it was written by, like I said, 40 authors over the span of roughly about 1,500 years in diverse places, times, and languages. Um, it has unique teachings that include, you know, the Trinity and salvation by grace. For example, you can find that in uh, uh, was it Ephesians uh, two, uh, chapter two, verse eight and eight through nine. And the Bible has had more impact on individual people, governments, and civilizations than any other book ever written. The historical and cultural impact of the Bible is simply unparalleled. And what's most amazing is that even among these various factors, the Bible has an overreaching focus on Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation. Um, I could get into, I guess, the, the Gnostic Gospels and uh, why they're not included in the Bible. Because a lot of people will say, well, you know, they took out books in the Bible. What are they hiding? You know, I, it's ridiculous. Um, Actually, you know, I will get into it. Get into it. What are uh, Gnostic Gospels and and um, and uh, I guess why they're not included in the Bible? The Gnostic Gospels are are second century or later Gnostic texts that claim to be written by close followers of Jesus, like such as Mary, Peter, Thomas, and uh, Judas. Although they're called uh, Gospels, they're actually quite dissimilar than, uh, say, like uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in both style and content. The Gospel of Thomas, for instance, is, is not a narrative, but 114 sayings attributed to Jesus. The reason these so-called Gnosticals, uh, yes, excuse me, the, the reason why these uh, so-called Gospels are not in the Bible is because they're dated much later than the uh, canonical Gospels, Canaan, canonical. So, and they also contain they also contain um, teachings that fail to match up with what we we know about uh, the historical Jesus from earliest sources like in uh, Luke uh, one four uh, no what is that uh, Luke chapter one uh, verse one through four so now another thing about the Bible, um, like I said before, is a prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. And I'm going to read from my notes right now, so uh, ignore the uh, paper noise. <laughs> um, of course, sports analysis, or excuse me, of course, a sports analyst, political experts, and astrologers, astrologers, <coughs> excuse me, seem to enjoy making predictions about the future, but their failure rate quickly reveals how inept humans are at foretelling events, even just a year in advance. 
uh, a day or two a day or two before the uh, recent 2016 uh, presidential election, most experts were telling us that Hillary Clinton was going to win. As a matter of fact, by overwhelming margins, um, and we obviously see how that turned out. Um, we can't even speak accurately about events a day or two in advance. This is one of the reasons the Bible fulfilled prophecies are so astounding. Over and over again, the authors of the Bible rightly foretold future events, oftentimes hundreds of years in advance. The Bible is literally filled with hundreds of specific detailed prophecies about persons, places, and events, many of which have already come to pass. Consider a few of the prophecies made regarding uh, Jesus, of course. Long before Jesus was born, the Old Testament prophets told us a Savior was coming who would make a way for mankind to be for, for mankind to be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God. The Old Testament prophesied the Savior would be. I believe there was a, a total of like. 372 prophecies. I could be wrong in that number, but that's, that's a pretty big number. Um, one uh, prophecy, the Savior in the Old Testament would be born of the seed of Abraham. That's in Genesis 12, 1-3 and 22, uh, verse 18. Of the tribe of Judah, that's in Genesis 49:10, And the image, uh, excuse me, uh, and the lineage of David, that's 2 Samuel um, chapter 7, verse 12. Micah 5, 2 said that he would be born in Bethlehem. That he'd come while the temple was still standing, that's uh, Malachi 3, 1. That he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah seven fourteen. That he would open the eyes of the blind, Unstop the ears of the deaf and cause the lame to walk, Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. That he'd be rejected by, the, by, by his own people, that's in Psalms 118, 22, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 7. The scriptures foretold the precise time in history when he would die, that's Daniel chapter 9, verses 2. 24 through 26. How he would die, that's in Psalms 22, 16 through 18, Isaiah 53, and uh, Zechariah 12, 10. What's interesting about Psalms 16, oh, excuse me, Psalms 22, 16 is, um, I'm going to paraphrase, but where it's actually um, Christ describing how he was crucified. He says, they rent my clothes, they spat at me, they ripped my beard, they pierced my hands and my feet. And you can ask anybody, um, mainly non-believers, and even, even some believers, who is that speaking? And, and without skipping a beat, they all say Jesus. And what's interesting about that scripture is that was written close to a thousand years before Jesus was even born. So, talk about prophecy. You know, it's pretty neat. And what's interesting is in all of us to even know who that is. Okay, and that he would rise from the dead, that's Psalms 16.10 and Acts 2, verse 27.32. This is just a tiny sampling of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. The Old Testament, completed 400 years before Jesus' birth, contains more than 300 references to the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. Calculations using 
the science of probability. On, and I love the laws of probability. So calculations using the science of probability on just eight of these prophecies, just eight, have shown that the chance of someone could have fulfilled just eight of these prophecies is. Oh, and that's not just Jesus himself. That's someone, any human being in the history of the world. So let's just say eight people let alone it was, it was Christ himself, which was, which was one person. So the odds are better with, with, with eight. <laughs> um, are one in 10 to the 17th power. We'll put it this way. It's one in the 100 quadrillion. This is uh, something I like to call um, God's fingerprint because it is so astronomically, insanely impossible for this to be a coincidence that it's God's fingerprint. And there are hundreds of other you know, prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled concerning the rise and fall of nations and, and other matters. Well, the fulfillment of these prophecies is compelling evidence that these men spoke with the aid of the all-knowing, all-powerful God written about in the Bible. The God who declared in Isaiah Chapter 46, verse 9 to 10. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done. In other words, God says here, there's no one else who can do this. And that is certainly the case. No other book in the world is able to substantiate its claims with this kind of supernatural ability to rightly foretell human events. There are no fulfilled prophecies in the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, the Book of Mormon, or any other sacred religious writings. Not one. So, let me continue my notes. Now, aside from fulfilled prophecy, we have archaeological evidence. I'm just going to go through a few here. Many critics who brush off the Bible as a compilation of folklore or legends or Bible stories, quote-unquote, they, they love saying that because it makes it sound like, sound like their, their kids' stories, um, do so overlooking the fact that thousands of archaeological discoveries over the past century have verified the historical reliability of the Bible. Nelson Gluck, who appeared on the cover of Time magazine and who is considered one of the greatest archaeologists, uh, excuse me, archaeologists ever wrote, quote, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted, which means overturned, a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible and, by the same token, token proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. These are the words of a man who has been credited with uncovering more than 1,500 ancient sites in the Middle East. Excuse me for a second. Mouth getting dry. Um, 
James Mann of the United States News and World Report said, quote, A wave of archaeological discoveries is altering old ideas about the roots of Christianity and Judaism and affirming that the Bible is more historically accurate than many scholars thought. Dr. Clifford Wilson, the former director of the Australian Institute of Archaeology, stated, quote, It is remarkable that where confirmation is possible and has come to light, the Bible stands investigation in ways that are unique in all literature. Its superiority to attack, its capability to withstand criticism, its amazing faculty to be proved right after all, are all staggering by any standard standards of scholarship, seemingly assured results disproving the Bible have a habit of backfiring. Over and over again, the Bible has been vindicated. I'm going to share a few examples of uh, discoveries, if you don't mind, um, which should help shed more light on the uh, Bible's reliability. Until 1993, not a shred of evidence could be found anywhere outside the Bible that David, the king of Israel, ever existed. And so it had become fashionable in some academic circles to dismiss the David stories as mere invention. The critics' verdict was that David was nothing more than a figure of religious and political mythology. Well, their skepticism regarding David collapsed overnight in 1993 when a nearly 3,000-year-old inscription was unearthed in Israel mentioning David, the king of Israel. This was a tremendous discovery and helped to verify for more, or actually for the first time outside the Bible, that David was an actual historical figure. In light of this discovery, Time magazine stated, the skeptics claim that King David never existed is now hard to defend. Another interesting thing, though, was just uh, within the past couple weeks, they had actually found King David's city. So, not only did they find the inscription, you know, back in 1993, back here in 2018, they found his city. So, I find that to be uh, actually, quite frankly, pretty awesome. Uh, what about Pontius Pilate? Another fascinating discovery concerns Pontius Pilate. The New Testament author tells us he was the Roman governor of Judea at the time of Jesus who oversaw his trial and then sentenced him to death by crucifixion. Matthew uh, chapter uh, 27 verse 2 and Luke uh, chapter 3 verse 1. Was Pilate a legendary figure? No. In 1961, a team of Italian archaeologists was digging in Caesarea, on the shore of the beautiful Mediterranean Sea in Israel. While clearing away the sand and overgrowth from the jumbled ruins of the Roman theater, these archaeologists made an astonishing find. They uncovered a limestone block that bore the inscription in Latin dating to the early part of the first century that mentioned Pontius Pilate, 
prefect of Judea. This inscription verifies that Pontius Pilate was an actual historical person, that he reigned in the very position ascribed to him by the Gospels. And as perfect or prefect, excuse me, he would have he would have had the authority to condemn or pardon Jesus, just as the gospel accounts state it. A lot of notes here. I'm actually gonna skip through a few here. I'm gonna go through some other um, discoveries that include the ancient extra-biblical accounts of the catastrophic flood in uh, Genesis uh, 6 and 8. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in regards to uh, the flood, Dr. Walt Brown um, has a book called In the Beginning, Compelling Evidence for the Creation and the Flood. I highly recommend you get this book. Um, it talks about his hydroplate theory. It's awesome stuff. It's another thing that you can get into. It helps with uh, apologetics to give a good account for your faith. Um, I highly recommend it. It's a big book, though. It's, it's a college book, basically. Uh, the Palace of Sennacherib, the King of Assyria, 2 Corinthians, oh, excuse me, Chronicles uh, 32, 1. And a wall relief depicted uh, the Assyrian siege of Lechish. Uh, the ruins of Jericho, along with evidence, the city um, wall fell fell down flat. And at the time, uh, at the time of the Old Testament dates, the crossings of the Hebrew people into Canaan, uh, Hezekiah's tunnel built to secretly channel water into the uh, city of Jerusalem is 700 B.C. And there might. Um, Reminding you now that, that these are basically other discoveries. I mean, I can just keep going on and on. There's a bunch. The Pool of Siloam, uh, where Jesus sent the blind man uh, with mud on his eyes to wash his eyes, and uh, which healed his eyes, and he was uh, no longer blind. Uh, the well called Jacob's Well, uh, where Jer Jesus met the Samaritan woman. Uh, Herod's Palace. Uh, the uh, a bone ossuary uh, mentioned Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, um, who presided over Jesus's late uh, late night uh, trial. The synagogue of Capernaum, um, Messianic. I, there's just it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, when you get into the archaeology, I mean, you could spend a few years just on that topic alone. You know, our, you know archaeological finds that confirm. The Bible has said so. Um, a few scientific accuracies. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's look, look, look here with my notes here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the truth of the Word of God tells us that God uh, hangeth the earth on nothing. That's on Job 26, 7. How did Job know that the earth hung in space before the age of modern astronomy and space travel? The Holy Spirit told him that's why. The scientists of Isaiah's day didn't know the topography of the earth. But Isaiah said, it is God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Isaiah, that's Isaiah 40, 22. The word for circle here means globe or sphere. How did Isaiah know that 
that God sat upon the circle of the earth. That's called divine inspiration. I'm gonna um, I'm not gonna finish up all these notes because it's it's a lot of reading, you know. And um, I just wanted to get that point across. I I, I think I read enough. Um, to have a good account for your faith, basically, it's apologetics. Look up Josh McDowell, Ravi Zacharias for more of this information. And again, you don't have to know it all. Pick one topic. You know, pick a archaeological evidence. Look into that. Or even the historical evidence. You know, I find that if you learn a little bit about all of it, then you have a quiver full of arrows. Um, and what you'll realize is you don't have to know it all. You just have to know enough. And you'll know what you'll need to know when you're out there witnessing to people and they're giving you their objections. Remember, the ones that are giving you the objections, they've given somebody else that same objection. And the reason why they're using it with you is because it's worked for them. But what you need to do is you need to surprise them. Like I said before, I like to call them left hooks. Give them answers they've never heard before. Give them answers that are going to make them think, even after you walk away and leave. They're going to think about that, that meeting they had with you. Like, wow, never heard that before. That actually makes sense. They may even look it up. When they find out it's true, they're going to keep searching. Remember, our jobs are to plant seeds. And if we're lucky enough to be there when they're prepared and ready to be harvested, meaning they're, they're ready to uh, give their lives to Jesus Christ, then that's, that's a, it's an incredible blessing to be a part of that. And trust me, I've done it multiple times, and obviously God gets all the honor and glory for that, but it's, it's an exhilarating thing to, to be um, able to go through. So I'm going to close this out with, if you're listening to this and you do not have Jesus Christ in your life and you're not born again, what that means is if you die, you're going to die in your sins. And our Heavenly Father tells us what happens to individuals that do not have their sins forgiven. They go to the lake of fire, hell, and that's for all eternity, where there's gnashing and, and wailing and gnashing of teeth and wailing. Trust me, it's not a place you want to go to. But he loved us so much that he came down, became a part of his creation. He became a human being through his son, Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He died Calvary's cross for us for the remission of sins there has to be shedding of blood and he shed his blood for us which washes our sins away so I would implore you if you're a sinner to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so basically what I'm saying is you have to accept him because you are a sinner. If I were to ask you if you had kept all of his Ten Commandments, I'm pretty sure there's a few 
that you would have broken. If you violate any of those commandments, which is his law, then you're a sinner and you need him. It's a free gift, so just ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. You have to admit that you're a sinner. Ask him to change you from the inside out. Get into God's word, which is the Bible. If you don't understand it, find a Bible-believing church and continue to walk in the Spirit. Well, um, hopefully uh, I'll be able to get up another um, podcast soon. And uh, I'm going to pretty much continue along this lines uh, as far as you know the accuracy of the Bible and, and, and this information. Get in. I'm going to stay in, to, in uh, apologetics for a little while. Um, great topic. Um, come on back if you have any friends or family that haven't heard this podcast yet. Let them know. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to enjoy it. It's, uh, it's, 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 I'm not, I'm not telling jokes. I'm not doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but, uh, hopefully you're walking away with this with some gold nuggets. Um, until next time, God bless.